Hello and welcome to the Swan Song Project podcast. My name is Ben Buddy Slack and I'm the founder of the Swan Song Project and the host of this podcast. The Swan Song Project is a charity. We help people living with terminal illnesses to write and record an original song. We believe in celebrating lives, making memories and leaving legacies. If you'd like to find out more about the charity, check out our website, which is swansongproject.co.uk. The podcast features songwriters. In each episode, I have a different guest on and we talk about one of their songs. Uh, I ask them to share a songwriting tip. I also ask for a song that's meaningful to them in some way related to bereavement. This episode features Martin Purdy of the band Half and a Monkey. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, today I'm here with Martin Purdy from Half and a Monkey. Thanks for joining me, Martin. Pleasure. It's great to be here. Yeah, really looking forward to talking to you. Um, for anyone new to this, this is the Swan Song Project podcast. Um, Swan Song Project is a charity and we help term ill people write and record an original song. Uh, the podcast, each week I have a different guest on, a songwriter. I ask them to share with us one of their songs. We'll have a chat about how they wrote it. Uh, I'll ask them for a songwriting tip. And I'll also ask for a song that's meaningful to them in some way relating to bereavement. Uh, so I'd like to hand it over to you, Matt, and ask you to introduce your song for us, please. Well, this was a song off our, we've done four albums, and this was a song off our third album called War Stories, and the song is called Ghosts Round the Table. upon the table Sitting next to Jim you know how he's quick to tears Old suits and ties a demon disguise for heroes Silent the sighs for those who have lived with fear on the wire, left us out in no man's land Year after year there's less of us here to talk to Year after year the faces just disappear i 
Come and meet the guests around our table. The ghosts are always here. Okay, fantastic. So that was uh, Ghosts Around the Table by Half and a Monkey. Yeah, it's a great song, uh, Martin. And so, well, people listening probably won't know this. We did some gigs together, probably going back 10 years or so, didn't we? Yeah, uh, yeah, we did in ago. Leeds, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and uh, it was so nice when I kind of got back in touch with you about doing this show, listening to your stuff again. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember how much I love these guys. <laughs> and you've <laughs> got just a, a very authentic sound, haven't you? It's very kind of like, let's say it's that kind of traditional folky feel, yeah. but also very modern type. Yeah, it's, I mean, that's what we, we always set out to do is to try and mix the the organic, the traditional sort of thing with 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 more sort of um, electronic sort of modern sound. So you got, um, and the challenge was to try and find a way of, of blending them together and it not really jarring, you know. Mm. Um, that, that was always the, the real challenge. So I think we spent like, about 18 months when we first started just trying to get one song. <laughs> you know, we had a batch of songs, but it was just getting one that would be the template that we felt was just right. And, you know, but uh, yeah, we, we, I suppose that's what we're known for. Yeah. Kind of mixing the, the, the modern and the old. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. What was that process? So you kind of decided on the kind of sound you wanted or you really yeah. and he's just experimenting with different options what kind of things were you playing with well yeah i mean i'll, I'll be on it i can remember exactly the <laughs> we just we'd, we'd the three of us had played in a bigger band together and we'd had a couple of record contracts and they'd kind of fallen on nothing and we were we were kind of at a point where we didn't want to be doing that whole lugging loads of heavy gear around and we thought well we want to just be able to just do it to enjoy it and turn up in a coffee shop. I remember having that discussion mm. or on a street and busk. We want to kind of strip it back to just playing acoustic instruments and, um, you know, simplifying it a bit. And But it was like, but we don't want to, there's a lot of people do that. How do we make it interesting? Well, we'll do some sort of bits of electronica and backing tracks that will give it a modern edge. And then when we go out and play, initially we just had a like a, a boom box. Do you remember them? Like the old yeah. boom boxes that you carried around. And um, we had the backing on the boom box, and then we just play over the top of it with our acoustic instruments. And we actually all went out and bought instruments that none of us had played before because we really wanted to get back to we were bored with our own music. And it was like, you know, I've been playing the piano since I was five years old. I'd, done sessions and lots of stuff as a piano player in recording studios in Manchester. And you kind of get to a point where you you, you know exactly what you're going to play. So we all went out and bought instruments that we'd never played before. And it meant that you had to totally rethink what you were doing because mm. you can play it. So, you, you know, just finding like a really cool, dead simple little melody or rhythm you'd build a whole song around that because you couldn't do anything else. It was like totally deliberately simplifying it and taking everything back to like that sort of nursery rhyme like quality. Mm. And that's where we started. And, and, uh, and you know, we, we, we just worked at sort of trying to get that, that balance of just something that was really, really simple, but a bit quirky. Yeah, and um, and once we'd kind of got one song 
and it was like, that's it. That's what it's wanted to sound like. Then a lot of the other songs we'd written, we could then rework them into that kind of, that aesthetic, if you want, you know what yeah. I mean? That's brilliant. That's, yeah. how, that's what we did. Yeah, it's a really interesting way of doing it. I really like that approach. And like, I know exactly what you mean of when you get to a certain level with an instrument and then it's like, you kind of, it's, you're setting your ways in a way, aren't you? I mean, like, so you can break out of it, but it's very hard to do to not like just follow similar patterns and that. Yeah, yeah, um, you do. It's like, oh, I'll play a fourth now and then I'll play a fifth <laughs> and then a first and then I'll go to like, you know, a sixth for diminished for this bit. And you kind of, you, you almost like program yourself over the course of years to just do things in a certain way. And, um, and sometimes it's good to just sort of get out of your comfort zone, I suppose, yeah. and, and get back to sort of that naivety, but purity of, of not being that good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really good. I think Nick Cave did a similar thing with, uh, he had a side project called Grinder Man, where, uh, yeah. where he played electric guitar in it. I'm sure that, I'm sure I heard that, that he didn't really play guitar. And, yeah. But that was his plan with that was to just do something. And there's always his very basic guitar player, but yeah. then it just drives the music in a very different way then. Yeah. And I mean, one of my, one of my favorite records was uh, a record by a group called Talk Talk. They did a couple of albums at the end of their sort of latter end of their kind of lifespan that were really esoteric. And the same thing, you know, the guy who uh, was the singer who played the keyboards, he played the guitar, you know, but he couldn't play the guitar. Um, and on the last album, he played the guitar, you know, because it just gave it a completely different feel to what they'd have done if he hadn't done that, mm. you know. So it gets really kind of raw, sort of basic raw sort of sound that just drove the whole thing. And I think Tom Waits did it as well. I think that's who we nicked the idea off from. <laughs> I think we'd read something about Tom Waits doing something like that. And we were just like, that's a really cool idea. You know, we should, we should if we're going to start something completely different to what we've ever done before, that'd be a really good way to start it is to literally start from sort of ground zero. You know what I mean with it? Yeah. Um, yeah and that's what we did. Yeah. It's a brilliant approach. Uh, and What's going to link us back to the song now is, yeah. so, and the other element of Harper Monkey is there's a lot of storytelling, isn't there? And your your lyrics are um, are often you a lot of historical things, don't you? And yeah, uh, and and well, when when we first started out, I mean, as the lyricist, that was something that I really wanted to do because I was I was I'd kind of almost got a bit bored of music in some respects because when you've been doing it and you know music has been my life from a child. And you kind of feel like you've heard nothing's particularly surprising you maybe sort of, you get a bit jaded sometimes. Mm. And I got really into, you know, I've always written, I've always, I've always been a writer and had a historian as well. Um, but I just got really heavily into that whole, my attraction to folk music. Well, I, I, I don't really like folk music in terms of fiddly D, what have you. But I like the storytelling in traditional folk songs that really was like a troubadour tradition in that it's just it's a means of like storytelling. And the, the music really traditionally was secondary to the story. You know, the story mm. was what counted. And so I, I got into traditional folk music 
really, not because I particularly like the genre as a melodic form, but because I like the storytelling. And then, you know, all of that kind of links together then to, you know, even people like the Kinks and Ray Davis through to, you know, Jerry Dammers, Terry Hall through the specials and things like that. And then acts like it's immaterial, you know, who are perhaps a lesser known act to, you know, proper storytelling type acts. Um, and, I, and I really wanted to do that. So for the first album that we did, I actually sat down and wrote down 10 themes that I wanted to like write about. So we'd kind of decided that Harp and a Monkey would be this sort of British quirky type storytelling thing. And so I wanted to draw on sort of some, you know, themes of, you know, old wives' tales, you know, childhood, just different. I just wrote a list of all different things that I thought would make interesting stories. And then continued that on to the second album that we did. Um, so, you know, it, it meant there were some unusual things going on, you know, mm. so we were writing songs about trips to the seaside called Tupperware and Tinfoil, you know, because that's what you would, you need for trips to the seaside and, you know, Caring the Community and a song called Do Lally Day Out, you know, which two of us have worked in Caring the Community, just different themes. But then the third album that we did, which is the one that this song's off, was we were actually commissioned really to write a lot of this. Uh, for this, because it was the centenary of the First World War. So a lot of these songs were, we, we'd been asked to put a show together and I'm, I'm kind of a First World War historian in, in, in with another hat on. And I wanted to do, I didn't want to do songs about men in muddy trenches because it kind of felt like it was this, this stereotype that had been mm. done to death. So it was like, right, let's get some different themes again that we can address. And, and what I really wanted to do was challenge some of the stereotypes of the First World War, because, you know, most people think that if you said for every 10 men, how many survived? Most people would say, oh, nine of them died and one came home. But it's actually the other way around. For every mm. one that died, nine came home. So the whole narrative of the First World War is always about the fallen and remembrance and the glorious dead, and, you know, rightly so. But the forgotten men were the nine out of every ten who came home mm. who had to sort of pick up the pieces. And, I mean, it's very apt for this this, this whole discussion because it's, it's the idea of, you know, um, in some respects, you know, when you're facing that point where, you know, death is death, it's for the person involved, you know, that's that's that, it's, it's finite, you know, depending on your religious beliefs. But in some respects, it's a lot more difficult for the person who's got to, who's left behind. So we looked quite a lot at songs about the people who were left behind. And the song that you've just played, Ghost Around the Table, is, is, is about that. And it's inspired by, a real um, piece of prose from a First World War veteran who was from my part of the world. He was from Rochdale and he went to Gallipoli, to Turkey. And um, after the war, he survived the war 
And after the war was over, the survivors of his, his platoon would, wherever they were, and he'd moved, Charles Watkins, he was called, he'd moved to the Isle of Wight by this time. But once a year, they'd all come back to Rochdale for a reunion dinner. And in the 1970s, they stopped the reunion dinners because there just wasn't enough of them left. And he'd written this lovely piece of prose it's not a poem. I, I, I find myself referring to it as a poem because it's beautiful, but it's prose. And it's called my, uh, I think it's called the ghost, you know, my ghostly guess. And it's about the feeling of those old men, you know, in the de-mob de suit sat around this dinner table. And pardon me, that's my phone keep binging. Right, yeah. um, and the fact that every year there'd be an extra, there'd be a, there'd be a you know, a, seat less occupied you know there'd be less people around the table and it was this idea of the fact that you know well we might not be able to see them in that sense but the ghosts at the table you know they're never forgotten they're always there they are a part of us and they will always be a part of us regardless of whether you know they they are here with us in that physical tangible sense you know, um, whatever your relationship and attitudes to death and, you know, afterlife sort of finality, you know, I think my, my personal feeling is, you know, that, you know, I'm not religious, but, you know, there is a hole when someone really important dies. And, you know, it's, I think a lot of people, and I, I certainly, we're going to we'll no doubt talk about this later, but, you know, you always want to fill holes it feels like the natural thing to do to try and fill a hole. Mm. But in some respects, you shouldn't want to fill that hole because the person who filled that hole, you know, is irreplaceable. You just really kind of need to accept that the hole is there. And then in some respect, come to, to value the hole because it's a, it's a sign of what that person meant to you and their ongoing you know, of course, pain gets easier to handle with time, but you never can fill the hole, really. You just learn to kind of, you know, work around it. And that's the idea of the ghost around the table is that, you know, it's, they're always there. You know, come and take a seat at the table, you know, because they're always there. The name cards might not be there anymore, but they'll always be a part of us. And I think that's the the premise of that a piece of prose that Charles wrote and that inspired that song. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful, yeah. Yeah, I agree completely with that kind of like, the, you're learning to live with, with them in that sense, like say, so like living with that hole or with their, their presence being not the physical presence it once was, but yeah. it's still a part of who you are, thanks. Um, what was it like since, so it's, it's kind of it sounds like quite an interesting way of writing the songs where you've kind of already got like you've got your the harp and a monkey kind of sound and the so the, the the kind of sounds you're going for and then you've got your theme and then so like you have the theme for the whole album and then you've got this particular theme for this song what's that then like uh what was your process for i guess you'd identified that piece of prose that you like and that kind of idea how do you then how do you then translate that into the song um i think that um the song itself kind of will, you know, the, you've got, I, I tend to work that I'll have a set of like lyrical storytelling themes. And then we might have some, you know, we might start playing around with some music. 
and the mood of what we play with, they'll then go, right, that is the mood for this story, mm. you know, and then um, I, I then will sort of marry the two together. But I mean, I always think that the, I always think people overcomplicate a lot of songwriting. You know, if you if if and this is a, you know a tip to songwriting type thing. I mean, my my feeling is that what what we wanted to do with Harp and a Monkey, and I wish I'd have done it with a lot of stuff before, is that it's the the things that survive over time are the simplest things. So it's like you think about nursery rhymes or think about hymns. You know, they're written to be sung the, the the written in a simplified and way because the whole point is is that you're going to teach a congregation of people a group of people something like a football champ you know you you're gonna you're gonna teach a lot of people something very quickly that they're going to be able to learn very quickly and that sticks in the head and so melody is absolutely i think you know a strong, a simple, strong melody is the key to everything, really. Because, you know, a lot of songs are little more than that. You know, you've got a strong melody, you've got, it'll be repeated sort of on an instrument musically. Um, before you know it, you've got kind of, you know, two thirds of your song written off the back of a simple melody. Um, and I think that, a lot of the, I, I quite often do verses before choruses because um, as the, the melody will be the verse, the strong part is going to be the verse. And if I've already written an idea down of what I want to say in a song, like, for example, take that one. So Charles, it's like ghostly. So it was like, right, ghosts around the table. Well, if I've got a, 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 if I've got a strong um, kind of visual set of words ghosts round the table then it almost the chorus almost writes itself around the rhythm or or, or, or around those words so I, you know a lot of people think that the, the key to a song is to have like a really catchy chorus and then but in actual fact I don't I rarely work that way I work with a really strong simple nursery rhyme like melody and bass the the bulk of the song the verses around that and but I have a clear kind of lyrical theme before I start and I know that that's going to be the chorus so that kind of actually comes afterwards but I, I, I it's just a different way of working I know it's not how most people work they usually try and get the the chorus first but I think the problem with that is is that you can get absolutely sort of tidy knots with choruses um, and they quite often just feel you know you get a lot of songs where there's nothing more to them than a chorus and it's like there's not really a great deal of substance you can tell that someone's just written a great chorus and then like put you know built a bit of something around it until you get the next chorus whereas I think more interesting songs that have long more longevity have got a stronger verse in a way and yeah you've got your payoff 
with the chorus, but the, the verses are people underestimate the importance of a, of a verse, you know. But another thing we always try to do is always, always have at least three hook lines in a song. So it's like so a strong sort of hook line melody, maybe for the verse. You've got your chorus, you need at least one, if not two more, other hook lines. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a sung one, but it might be a musical part or, but you need at least three, if not four different sort of hook lines to a song so that it's constantly keeping your attention. You know, that's, if, especially if you write in quite, a, like we write sort of almost pop, pop, left field pop folk music or something, but you know, even in a three and a half minute song, if it isn't changing, you, you, you lose interest in it. So you need, you need to kind of have different little parts. I think that's quite important. Yeah, that's all really interesting. Um, sorry, I just muted myself. There's some construction going on outside my uh, <laughs> studio at the minute, so I'm not sure how loud it's, the microphone's <laughs> picking up. But I'm going to mute myself when you're talking. Um, hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Sorry for the interruption. Just want to drop a quick note in here to say that Swanson Project is a registered charity. If you're enjoying this podcast and you'd like to consider supporting us, uh, there are several ways you can donate through the website. It all goes towards supporting more people. Limbo Terminals is to write and record their original songs. If you'd also like to show your support um, for the podcast, we always appreciate any reviews you can leave us. Uh, you know, likes, shares, subscribes, all that kind of business. Um, it always really helps. Uh, so if you'd like to do any of that, it's really much appreciated. Hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yeah, that's all really interesting. I really like it. it. feels like you've kind of got lots of these, you know, it's like clear about what you're aiming for. And then so then it kind of allows your creativity to be quite focused, doesn't it? If you know. Yes. Yeah, I think, I think I, that's a great way of putting it. And that's I think we've done that. Like the last album that we did, the Victor was a, we made the decision, right? We're going to do we're going to collect 10 or 11 sort of old Victorian songs and rewrite them for a 21st century audience. And again, immediately you've got focus because it's like, right, okay. So you then go and start looking for songs from the Victorian era that you want things that aren't all on the same theme. So then that narrow, that gives you a focus. So it's like, oh, here's a good song about, you know, uh, convicts being sent off to the colonies. Right, oh, but we've got two more of those. Right, well, which one's the best one? And then you have to all the time make decisions, but all the time it's focusing you, focusing you. And I think it's a really good way to focus your creativity, you know, because I think that a lot of the time, it, one of the hardest things when you're creative is you can be over-creative and you actually end up juggling that much that nothing gets pinned down. Whereas I think that if it's easiest, it's what, that thing we were saying about where we started, the less notes you could play, the less proficient you were, the more focused you were in writing a song because you were more limited. So you didn't have as many options. So it's all about making the most of, of a really focused type thing is, has always worked for us. You know, that's the way that, that we've always worked. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant, Matt. It seems like it's a good way of working. It works well for you. Um, I've just had a quick look at the clock. I know we, yeah. we're quite short on time today. Uh, yeah, I've got to go and collect children from school. Children yeah. sooner. Um, <laughs> so we'll kind of quickly nip through the, the other two sections of yeah, the podcast. Yeah. Um, so 
we've talked about quite a lot of tips already there. I don't know if you had a particular tip that's not come up so far that you want to quickly mention for us. And just, I just think that just enjoy, enjoy it really. I think that, um, you know, I, I, I sit down at the piano mainly when I'm, you know, and I play just to, for well-being, just to kind of ease my mind from the stresses of the day. And I sit down with no expectation of what I'm doing. I just sit down to wander around some melodies and just, you know, be in a nice place and away from the stresses of the day. And I don't sit down at that piano saying, I'm gonna write a song. I just sit down and I play and, you know, within just enjoying myself, I might hit something. Oh, that was nice. Oh, hang on. Oh, oh, and 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 then something happens. But I think you know. I know some people do like to sort of kind of discipline themselves, and but it's not how. I think sometimes the best things come when you just allow yourself to take the pressure off yourself and and just you know don't always go looking. Sometimes just just enjoy and you know and just if there's a particular record that you love as well, just kind of there's no harm in kind of trying to recreate that feel because you'll come up with something different as well so I'm, I'm, yeah yeah that's great advice well and it kind of it's kind of similar in a way to what we were talking about in the first section about um when you're new to an instrument and it's really exciting to play it and yeah. you're trying to figure things out of it yeah, yeah. you're a bit more playful aren't you than when you're yeah. very accomplished on something and it's like yeah well this is what i do here and this is how this yeah, goes yeah. it's uh yeah. similar kind of thing it's a good yeah it's yeah. great for promoting um Creativity and sparking those different ideas. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, thanks for that, Martin. So um, section three, I asked my guests for a song that's meaningful to them in some way relating to bereavement. Um, and what I do here is I'll put the YouTube link in the description. So if you're listening to this podcast or watching it, uh, you're not familiar with the song, um, I'll ask Martin to introduce it in a second. And then if you want to, you can pause us here, go listen to that song, come back and we're going to have a quick chat about, uh, about why Martin chose it. Uh, so what song did you pick for us today, Martin? It's uh, Ocean Rain by Echo and the Bunny Men. Um, from probably their, you know, their best album, which was Ocean Rain. You know, this is the title track from it. Um, and it's a song that my brother, my older brother was really into Echo and the Bunny Men. Um, and he, my older brother introduced me to so much music, you know, because he was like that three years older than me and, um, you know, and uh, he just had a really good record collection. Like when I was listening to ELO, you know, he was listening to cool, not that there's anything wrong with ELO, but you know, he was listening to cool indie stuff and and, and that. And, and so he introduced me to a lot of music and the Bunny Men were one of them. And we went to see the Bunny Men that many times together over the years that it was a wonderful sort of shared experience that we had. Um, and then my brother, who's a very fit man, ran marathons and stuff, went for a checkup, um, just a standard sort of a thing, you know, um, over 50s MOT with his GP and, you know, uh, didn't think anything of it and came back with some blood anomalies. They checked it, found that he had like, you know, um, a, myelo, a myeloma. My, melanoma myeloma I think it is isn't it blood poison of the blood which wasn't something that they thought was going to be a problem very very manageable 
um, but he didn't respond to the sort of standard treatment. So they went to chemo. He didn't respond to chemo. Um, so they then sort of went to something that they'd said that it was highly unlikely he would need to do, which would be a full sort of bone marrow and blood transplant, which they said is an incredibly dangerous operation. You've only got a 50-50 chance of surviving it um, because you for a large period of time, you'll be in total isolation because you will have no kind of immunity. Um, your, your, your immune system, you know, will, we're effectively removing it and replacing it with someone else's and it needs time to bed in. And of course, uh, he, had the, he had the operation, survived it, was in the isolation and then uh, he kept getting infections and, and uh, you know, I was with him when, um, he was told that, look, you know, there's, there's really nothing more we can do and you've only got, uh, you, you probably want to go home because, you know, you, you, there's nothing we can do. And I remember him saying, well, you know, how long for? And he said, a few days. And he was like, oh, you know. Um, and so, yeah, and he, and he you know, he, he actually lasted, a bit, you know, quite a bit longer than that. Uh, when I say a bit longer, you know, a couple of weeks. Um, but it gave us time. We actually planned his his uh, funeral together, and we wrote like a big piece. It was a, it was you know we we we're not religious, so it was a, you know it wasn't a religious one. And he chose the music, um, but he didn't tell me what uh, songs he'd chosen because you know he obviously wanted to kind of uh, get me there. And, um, and myself and some of his friends, all of us were part of the same crowd and we'd all been sort of like, you know, going to those kind of gigs together and we carried his coffin in and then Ocean Rain was the sound of that we, he'd chosen for us to carry him into. And I think we, were, we all nearly dropped the coffin at that point, but uh, managed to hold it together. But he, he, he chose, he was really into music. He had some great music um, at the funeral. Um, but this was kind of, I think it was one of them songs that we discussed about when none of us were ill, that I'm having that song at my funeral. No, I'm having it. And of course he got in there first. And I think that's why he wouldn't tell us that that's what we were going to carry him into. Um, so that's the reason I chose that song because, um, you know, it's, it's a very kind of uh, important song in terms of um, my relationship and what it means to me with, with my brother, but um, it's hard because, you know, music's always been a very powerful and big part of my life. And so, you know, I've, I, I, that, choosing it and listening to the version that I was going to send to you was the first time I've listened to it since the funeral. Um, and, you know, my dad was really into brass band music and classical music. And I, I was like classically trained as a pianist and really into classical music. And my brother wasn't, or my mum or, you know, anyone else in the family. And so my dad and I shared a love of classical music and we used to go off together and like, you know, to, to see classical concerts. And, you know, when my dad was dying, uh, you know, it's 20 odd years ago since my dad died, but, when my dad was dying, you know, we listened to a lot of classical music together and and he used to get quite, you know, emotional about listening to it. And, and it had such an impact on me that I honestly couldn't listen to any classical music for years afterwards. I just could not listen to it. 
um, it kind of impacted on me just that strongly, you know, that um, the association with with my dad and with the whole situation. Because again, you know, he was another man taken, you know, as a relatively young man. You know, he was only in his uh, in his, his kind of uh, early sixties um, with with like a brain tumor. Um, so in both cases of my dad and my elder brother were both sort of, you know, very sort of out of nowhere deaths, you know. Um, so, yeah, the, the music is, is very strong, the association. So it takes me, you know, um, I actually said to, because quite often at night, I'll go to sleep listening to music. You know, I'll pick some music and go to sleep listening to it. And when my brother died, I actually said to my wife, that's when I started listening to podcasts. I'd never listened to podcasts before, but it was an alternative to listening to music because I was terrified of listening to music at that point because of the way I was, the emotional state I was in. That, it, that music was all going to end up intrinsically tied to that emotion that I was feeling at that time. And then I wouldn't be able to listen to it then for like, you know, it'd be kind of forever sort of like associated with, with that feeling. And so I, I just, I, could, I, I actually actively avoided music for quite a long time after my brother died, you know, um, actually listening to music that I liked because I was too, too scared of kind of it becoming sucked into this, this whole sort of mixed bag of pain and emotion and, you know, uh, and all those other things that, you know, anyone who's, who's dealt with bereavement sort of, you know, understands only too well. Yeah, it's, um, amazing. it's amazing the the power of music holding those memories and it just made me think, um, back to what we were talking about with ghosts around the table and you know that learning to to live with that hole as we described it as or um and that how the songs kind of represent that in a way so like you know this song the ocean rain that was um you know was it meant a certain thing to you for a long time and now means something yeah, really yeah. different to you yeah afterwards because it's so tight yeah. to and yeah i'm so sorry to hear about your brother um yeah it was um but, but no this is the thing isn't it you know it's um it's, it's certain things have power beyond what you, you realise. And, you know, music, I mean, I've always been aware of the power and the emotive power of music. That's what drew me to it, you know, from a young age. But, you know, um, just as it, you know, you can have such positive associations. You can also have very negative is the wrong word. You know, it's not a negative mm. emotion, but it's, a, it's an uncomfortable one that it takes you time to, to learn to manage, like we were talking about, yeah. you know, learning to live with the whole rather than trying to find a way of filling it, you know, um, which, you know, I think is something that it takes a while to sort of come to terms with that, that you're all, you know, you, you at first you just try to find ways to fill it, to take it away because mm. it's painful. And then I think, you know, as time goes on, you learn to actually you know, it becomes a part of you. And that's a different thing altogether because that's actually a nice thing in many respects because it means that, you know, as long as you've got that 
the whole every so often gives you a tweak and a twitch. It means that that person's still, you know, a part of you and a strong part of you. And I wouldn't want it to be any other way, you know, with with those people who've had that power of influence on my life, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful, Martin. Yeah, thanks for sharing it with us. Um, I think that's a, a good point to end on. Uh, this episode um but yeah it's really nice to talk to you man. i really appreciate your and time. you too yeah yeah and then i just think what what you're doing is is fabulous i really do ben and you know what a great idea just, oh, just you what much. you're doing is just just fabulous yeah so uh, I, I hope to speak to you again yeah hopefully you know? we'll uh, catch you at a gig again soon uh, now the world's open up again yeah i know <laughs> uh, i'll put all the i'll put all the links in the description so anyone watching this podcast wants to check out half and a monkey you can uh, listen to all the albums we've talked about and yeah hopefully we'll see you back out in some venues before too long brilliant thanks ben good stuff thanks a lot martin and thanks for tuning in everyone i'll be back with another episode soon mm-hmm.